Son, your ego is writing checks your body can't cash. You've been busted. You lost your qualifications as section leader three times. Put in hack twice by me. With a history of high-speed passes over five air-controlled towers and one admiral's daughter. Penny Benjamin. And you, asshole. You're lucky to be here. Thank you, sir. And let's not bullshit, Maverick. Your family name ain't the best in the Navy. You need to be doing it better and cleaner than the other guy. Now, what is it with you? Just want to serve my country. Be the best fighter pilot in the Navy, sir. Don't screw around with me, Maverick. You're a hell of an instinctive pilot. Maybe too good. I'd like to bust your butt, but I can't. I got another problem here. I got to send somebody from this squadron to Miramar. I got to do something here. I, I, I still can't believe it. I gotta give you your dream shot. I'm gonna send you up against the best. You two characters are going to Top Gun. For five weeks, you're gonna fly against the best fighter pilots in the world. You were number two, Cougar was number one. Cougar lost it, turned in his wings. You guys are number one. But you remember one thing. You screw up just this much, you'll be flying a cargo plane full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. Yes, sir. That is all. You can tell me about the mix some other time. Gentlemen. Good luck, gentlemen. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Hello and welcome to Stuff We've Seen. I'm your host, James Kent, and with me on the mic is Teal. Um, I'm going to dispense with all the comedy that we <laughs> typically have that lets us veer off course for 20 minutes because I got something I got on my mind. Oh, good. Yeah, it really just, you know, I wish I could have a full discussion on it, and maybe this is going to be the start of something that we're going to pick up on the next episode. But I'm, I'm a guy who likes to wade into the waters of controversy. Oh, I see. I think I know where you're going. Our biz is the movie biz. We talk about films. We talk about the experience. And so if there's controversies that pop up with the movies, we're going to talk about them. We're not yep. going to shy away. Anytime you get, uh, I don't know, people trying to censor art. Mm-hmm. I get, I get a little bit concerned, right? Um, and I certainly then have to check out what is this all about because right. I want to find out is there, is there valid points or is there censorship going on? What's happening? And then so something, a movie that's playing now, and I say now because I don't know if it's going to be playing next week on, <laughs> on the streaming service Netflix. They picked up a French film uh, called, I don't, I don't know, like I said, this is not about a full dissertation of the movie right now. Right. This is sort of like, I guess we'll call a gripe, a uh, concern I have. So I don't know what the French title is. Uh, Mignons. Thank you, Mignons, which stands, I guess, in English for cuties. I do take yes. French, but uh, I mean, uh, we never really discussed in our French class cuties. Uh, <laughs> right. <Mignons. laughs> So Bell, I think, is what we used to say. Uh, so Mignon is cuties. And it's directed, and I think this is important because I feel like with some of the controversy, yeah. there's definitely a version of sexism going on here and that would not necessarily be a case if we were if the subject matter were boys and if it was a white boy director or something. Yes. It, this is a film by a French Senegalese woman. Mm-hmm. Did I say that right? She's from Senegal and yes. France. And so it's a woman director of color 
and she is commenting on the refugee experience in France mm-hmm. from people of Senegal. I didn't know any of this, okay? Didn't even know the movie existed, quite honestly. Until <laughs> no, I, nobody did. Until I started reading some articles that a good old uh, Senator Ted Cruz, and I see this letter that Ted Cruz wrote to uh, good old uh, buddy Bill Barr yep. in the Justice Department. Like, this guy is like taking his time to write a letter. Yes, Pretty quickly, as I see the contents of this letter, uh, Ted Cruz, and this is where, like, you know, the the whatever the article that got me here was saying how he was tending, he was finding his own way into the QAnon movement yes. that seems to be spreading this uh, rumors that Hollywood and, you know, left radicals and uh, deep pocket, deep state Democrats are, are infiltrating youth of the world and uh, trying to bring them into different sex uh, dungeons or whatever it is. I don't know. I try not to spend too much time on this QAnon thing, but right. he was trying to make his own <laughs> mark by finding this film of outrage that shows just how evil Hollywood is by right. um, abusing young children and putting them, uh, over-sexualizing them and uh, and putting them out there for pedophiles everywhere to right. leer after and that this is disturbing and that uh, the Justice Department needs to take note <laughs> and that Netflix should be held accountable. And uh, Absolutely, yeah. And so then I had to do a little bit more research, right, and discover yeah. that the right wing, I don't know, I'm going to call it the QAnon mob, whatever, you know, that's yeah, what's sure. becoming. They're all, they've jumped onto this. Oh, yeah. And I, so I'm like, what the hell is this movie? I got to even find out. I, I almost like was afraid to like type it up on my computer as a afraid that i'd get a message that says in seven days you will die the ring you will see it <laughs> like i'm like that's what this has become right so i like look it up and i'm like wait a minute this is not even an american film this is right. a french film and then i'm like okay it's talking about sexualizing young 11 year old girls and i'm like well who directed this movie is this a male like uh right you know, did they get luke Besson? The... if luke Besson directed it they'd be a little concerned right <laughs> you know nobody was complaining in 95 when he sexualized 11 uh, year old natalie portman uh, no, no, and that was that was all okay. I'm just pointing that out. I think she was 11 years old. Okay. Uh, <laughs> well, and then she did that movie, Beautiful Girls. She did, and let's talk about that bizarre little. Uh, <laughs> yes, of course, Luc Besson has had his issues of late. Oh, those French men. But anyways, I discovered that it's a French mm-hmm. woman from Senegal. And she directed it, and then she did a lot of research on the subject yes. matter, and it, it, it very carefully, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, I, I, I've got to watch this for myself, because if there's any legitimate concerns that people have, I need to see. You, you want to know. Yeah, you got to see for yourself. You can't just, well, and, and that's what I was going to say, is that the poster for the film initially. Well, I guess that's what started the controversy. That's what started the controversy. Because nobody, you know these people would never have even, would never watch a a French movie with subtitles. These people do not read, right? No, they just were responding to the poster and that that was pretty much it. And then uh, somebody must have watched it. Somebody in the QAnon sphere must have watched it. And that was enough that, for everyone to uh, act as though they'd seen it. Well, yeah, because now I've heard some of these supposed lurid 
the details yes. that come out and that, uh, you know, when, when people, and I think we've all uh, discovered this when we've engaged any of these people in any type of fashion on social media, they're very fond of regurgitating a lot of points that have been fed to them. Yes. And then of course they take those points and they blow them way out of context and the whole thing becomes like an urban legend. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, most QAnon yeah. things. <laughs> like it's never sourced. There's never anybody. It's always a thing. The media, like the, it's like a big conglomerate of media without ever getting specific or ever pointing to right. the fact that they're getting their information from media that they just happen to like. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm reading all these like sensational details and nuggets and they're written by people that like, I even found one that was such an obvious like paid troll. Oh man! To create okay. discourse that there's just no way that they because you can always tell if you even take the time right. yeah. when you when you read something that isn't quite uh, proper English and you click on their profiles <laughs> it, it can get very suspicious pretty quick that they don't have any followers but they're following thousands right uh, they don't really seem to have any details and they have some very weird name that looks like an algorithm created it <laughs> you know so wait you're saying maybe there's a russian troll conspiracy to take down cuties <laughs> No, I think they're using cuties as another thing to create discourse in America mm. um, and okay. and get and get the right, uh, you know, religious base fired up. Right. Over something. Right. Yeah. They need that. That's the whole thing is uh, the reason why people are even glomming on to this QAnon sense is what I call it, <laughs> is that <laughs> the person that they backed and actually voted for in 2016, he has been responsible for such disastrousness in this country that they somehow deep down in the recesses of their brain, they feel culpable for this. And rather than own up to their mistake and correct it in a few weeks, they need to almost quadruple down on the mistake. And they have to rationalize. They can't look at his record other than just saying, he's done great things. You know what? (laughs) I'm always harking back to the movie Judgment at Nuremberg when uh, Spencer Tracy is staying at the home of like two Germans who obviously were were like, you know, they've gone down a few pegs since since the fall of Nazi Germany. And, And they felt very apologetic. Uh, for what happened and they need to s- explain to Spencer Tracy that they didn't know they didn't know right. and they said but 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 at the same time they said but 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 he did some good things right. we don't agree <laughs> with everything but Hitler did some good things and that to me is the moment that even though Judgment at Nuremberg is a very stodgy yeah. kind of movie very dated that's the mastery right there because yeah. in that one moment it told us everything about people who have fallen for ridiculous nonsense yes. to somehow justify their own racist behavior. Did you actually watch Cuties? This has all happened very fast. Yes. Right? The, yeah. the time Last of this two taping. weeks. Yeah. And I've been very busy. And I, but me, I try not to pay attention to this stuff. So only in the last few days have I really seen how this has blown into okay. something massive. The Ted Cruz thing I only read a couple of days ago. Yeah. And I said, I got to check this out for myself because I was also fearful that in this cancel culture world, sometimes pressure mounts on something like Netflix and they're just like, well, you know, this is like some French import. We don't really, this isn't, we don't want this to break us. So sure, we'll get rid of it. Uh, So I started to watch and really was on a, is there something to this? Like what, what are they making these little girls do? What's the story about? I have 
made it through half of the movie and only because I've run out of time. So I've seen half of it. Now, that's why I feel like 100% can I comment on everything that might be being said about it and whether it's true. I don't know. I haven't seen the second half. But I will tell you that I have seen the first half and had none of this controversy ever popped up and I just happened to discover this movie on my own, the last thing I probably would have been thinking is, this is an outrage. <laughs> right, right, right. You know what I mean? I, if anything, because I, I, I understand uh, France a little bit. It's a different culture than ours. And there was that movie that we actually discussed a little bit with uh, Carrie Chalmers. It was uh, another film that the director, Celine Siama, did. Oh, yes. Uh, and it's about girls that are slightly older. Yes. But it, it, had, it was sort of a similar uh, examination. However, what Carrie was concerned with is as a white woman, right. did Celine have the um, right to tackle that subject? Right, right, And that it was also a little bit voyeuristic there, too, and she had some concerns. Now, I kind of will reach out to Carrie when I finish watching this to see if she's going to watch it. It's called Girlhood. It's called Girlhood, yes. So so it does have some similarities there in Girlhood. It also follows the coming-of-age story, and it also has a little bit of... Her other debut movie in the fact that it was very young girls that um, and exploring their sexuality a little bit. So water lilies, water lilies. Yes. So in France, the way that they might tackle female coming of age subject matter is way different than here. Very different. Yeah. And so what I have instantly thought of and I thought of the hypocrisy of the outrage from Mr. Theodore Cruz. (laughs) Get on that, Bilba. Is that there was a movie that we talked about on this show. I don't think you saw it, but I did. And I thought it was pretty funny for what it was. And it was called, was it Bad Boys Uh, or Naughty Boys or whatever? And it was these, like the hijinks of like, preteen boys. And it had uh, the kid from uh, Jacob Tremblay in it. Oh, I don't know if yeah, I've I told seen you the this. three boys, and they've got to like you know, there's like some mission they got to solve, but there's like you know dildos involved and right, other sexual right, right. things. These kids are all like twelve or thirteen. Now I think they're like twelve or under. They're not even thirteen yet, and there was no controversy there. Right, and they right. are like you know into all sorts of crazy sexual situations or the fact that they don't understand. It's kind of like a live action South Park. Those kids right, are right, even right. younger. They're ninth nine years old, and then the stuff that comes out of their mouth. Yet there was never any. Controversy controversy wow okay why is it that if it's a boy oh well you know that's like good old coming of age adolescence but oh no if a girl is potentially looking at <laughs> pornography on a computer or talking about these things my god pedophiles everywhere are ready to strike are ready to strike yeah these girls are dressing provocatively and they're only 11 this movie must sexualize them no right yet yet we're we're in the land of honey boo boo well yes and i don't i've never watched any of those dance mom shows and stuff but no but i know they exist that culture which by the way i am not going to single any religion but there is a big tie in a lot of these in the south and stuff very religious and they go and have these kids parade and so if that's okay then, I mean, again, I think it has more to do with the fact that the story involves 
a refugee girl in Paris from Senegal and who is, I believe, in the movie Muslim. Mm -hmm. Hmm. They're not mentioning that, but they don't want anybody to see a movie with a protagonist exploring her sexuality and also the part is that maybe (laughs) rejecting her religious teachings. Yes, and well, and and I have gotten that from the first half of the movie. Didn't I haven't seen any of the movie? I want you to see this film before they take it off, and that's I why I was concerned. Last night I was watching as much as I could because there's pressure. A lot of people have dropped subscriptions. Their cancellations are eight times higher than usual. Yeah, and of course those people will all go re re sign up again the next time uh, Stranger Things. <laughs> Season three comes back. <laughs> These people that are canceling haven't seen the movie or read anything no about way. it. No way. I'm telling you right now, they're like, they'd turn it on for five minutes and they would uh, be like, subtitles? Oh. Yeah. I don't want to talk about my impressions of the film yet because I've only seen half and I never like to do that. But I right. have enough to address that I have seen a couple of the things that I've heard comments on and it's... Uh, they're out of their mind. As a matter of fact, I have a little bit of concerns of someone like Ted Cruz. He's so worried about this uh, tantalizing <laughs> men that I have to wonder about the man who actually goes to that place yeah. and thinks and thinks this is tantalizing. Help Bill Barr yeah. get this off because I'm too tantalized by eleven year olds. Okay, Theodore. So one thing I want to add on this is uh, I, I was going to say I haven't seen the film, but I did read uh, yesterday on the Washington Post. There's an opinion piece by the director. Okay. And she explains what she was going for and what the how it's based on her life and what she was trying to accomplish with it. And I, I think that's worth checking out. On the one hand, it's a shock that she has to... Uh defend herself in this way. But I I think she was well aware that she was talking about some controversial subject matter. However, this is what's so sad (laughs) is that it's pretty clear that the comment she's trying to make is the fact that these little 11-year-olds that we want to pretend are so innocent and cute, right. they have, they're getting a lot of exposure through their phones, which all these 11 have. Through media, yeah. And we just want to assume as parents that a lot of times, oh, they're doing the right things with this stuff. Yeah. And I think her point is they're not always. They're curious, and the internet is the Wild West where they can have access to stuff that they may not understand, they're not ready for, and if there's no parents really being aware of that. Based on this article, that's a lot of what the film is dealing with. I also think, you know, it's interesting, uh, Theodore Cruz, (laughs) that he uh, is one of those people who is constantly decrying uh, cancel culture. Oh, yeah, but that's only if, if Democrats are canceling. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. Oh, I know. oh, oh you know that. Oh, 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 I didn't know. You're being ironic. <laughs> I was being ironic. Oh, I see. You're telling me that w- w- what Republicans say and do could be possibly different from reality? <laughs> that if they want to break the law, it's okay, but if a Democrat... Wants to get a haircut in the salon without a mask, it's the end of the world. Do you think Netflix is going to pull it? I do. I absolutely do. do. However, I I would hope not because – but here's the thing is. This is where I stand on that is that, hey, look, they're the distributor. They've got their yeah. name, Netflix, actually on it. They, they thought this was a good enough thing. I think they thought this was their entry into the French uh, entry right. for international language. I think yeah. from what I've seen so far, it's that strong a movie. But when they're the distributor, if they want to, 
they can certainly pull it. Yeah, they can. Even though this is not a movie that I would probably watch right away on yeah. my own or like like I'm enjoying what I'm watching, which I got to be careful of saying that. I want to have like a thousand <laughs> right wing trolls coming at me. Oh, you enjoyed it, Mr. Kent. I <laughs> right. see. You must be a pedophile. No, I'm enjoying it because I'm a lover of cinema and it's giving me challenging things. But I will try to watch it even if I can finish it tonight because I just don't know if it'll be there tomorrow. Right. So yep. by the time this okay. is airing this episode it may not be available <laughs> it may not be available anytime i hear a group and it's usually a right-wing group uh trying to <laughs> stop a movie stop a movie uh like you know the last temptation of christ back in 88 i yep. couldn't wait to get into the theater and see that thing <laughs> when everybody and then i was like again i was flummoxed because if anything scorsese was a very religious guy yes and, and wanted to be a priest at one point yeah uh, he actually, I think, made a beautiful film yes. about uh, Christ and the whole thing that was so outrageous to so many. What he was really saying is that Jesus is on the cross and he is having that moment of doubt. Yes. And so it brings us into a fantasy situation of what could his life be like if he goes down one path. And at the end, right. he chooses the path that all the people that were, you know what I mean? It's just crazy. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, a, yeah, it's a moment of doubt. And I think, anyhow, yeah, I think it's a beautiful film and I think it's, it's very uh, supportive supportive of faith yeah so i mean i guess you know with the with theaters not being open right now and you can't go there hey it's fun to have a little controversy to steer up so i just wanted to talk about that because it was really was on my mind and i'd be really upset if it's pulled yeah. and i don't even get to see it if you do watch it i think we should then discuss it yeah Okay, I'm going to try to see it. Hey, Ted Cruz, by the way, you want some controversy. Why don't you get the Criterion channel and try to watch In the Realm of the Senses and uh, <laughs> see what you think of that. And that's that's what really cracks me up, right, is there's so much more controversial right. things. Uh, even me, I had a I had a real question mark about that scene with the, the, the woman and the little boy in that movie. So... Wait, which movie? Uh, in the realm of the senses. Oh, okay. I was uh, I was thinking about birth. I haven't seen that. Oh, you haven't seen birth? I know what it is. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. right, right. But see, that's an older woman and a younger man, and that fits right, right in with the the fantasies, the real fantasies <laughs> that that men have. Okay, so the second half of the show, we are going to talk about a movie that I mentioned on the last episode. Yes, you had seen it. I had not. I think. Well, you'd seen half of it. I'd seen half of it. Yeah. So we were just not talking about it. Yeah. To my knowledge. Netflix has not pulled <laughs> has not pulled from release Charlie Kaufman's I'm thinking of ending things maybe because nobody's watched it I'm sure Ted Cruz has not watched this movie <laughs> well he hasn't watched cuties either uh, according <laughs> no. to his office no because he could, could scar him for life right exactly so yeah I'm thinking of ending things oh please don't <laughs> oh, you're talking about the movie. <laughs> well, it's funny, you know, that the, I think it's important to mention the title because my first thought on hearing the title was suicide. Mine too. And then I got into the movie and it was, the phrase was mostly used in terms of ending a relationship. Correct. But then when you get to the end of the movie, the phrase takes on a different meaning again. Yes. <laughs> and so it's actually a, a, a pretty provocative and title that has a lot to do with the movie it actually is really tied into what the movie's about yeah and the movie is about shifting perspectives in many ways about you know kind of narrative shifts and yes i mean how do you even begin to describe this movie i mean i knew what it was about in terms of it was a woman going to visit her boyfriend's parents and things get weird that that was all <laughs> and i knew things get weird in the charlie kaufman style and uh, yes and so i was expecting things to get weird in the charlie kaufman style 
And they did. But, oh man, I mean, there, there's so many interesting things about this movie. Can we give away the ending? There's some approaches here. I, I, I think this is the first warning for an audience uh, member. I did, give, I did on the episode that you'll have heard yeah. before this one, I did say, we're going to talk about this movie. If you're interested, get to seeing it before you hear this. And so you'll have had some time to watch the movie. Yeah. This movie isn't going to be for everyone. It's definitely more, I, I honestly would say it's more for cinephiles, right? It is. I think it's also the kind of movie for people who like books better than movies. Yes, I would say so. Yeah. It's very, li- I mean, it's based on a book, but it's also very literary in terms of, well, the characters are really smart. So here's what I would say is we, sh- we start off for those who you know, say haven't seen the movie but are intrigued. We're yeah. gonna talk. Let's talk about our experience and just our kind of impressions and the fact because it is not your normal viewing experience. It really isn't. And then people, if they want to cut out for the rest of this episode until such time that they've seen it, we'll talk to those who might have seen it and are confused and are having questions. Okay. And haven't done any research and you know, look, I had some questions too. I had to go to the well. I had to go and read up on a movie, and that yeah. in itself is exciting for the fact that I wanted to learn. More. I, I had some questions. I, I wasn't familiar with every reference, even though I knew there were references in there. And so now I actually have a better, fuller understanding of the movie. Yes. It doesn't mean I didn't get it the first time around. It's just it helps me understand the nuances of what I was experiencing. Well, exactly. And, and just how, because there were things. Okay, I'll give an example. Her, the main character's name keeps changing slightly. Okay, so so here's what I would say is that when you're watching this film, most people, right, you expect a linear narrative. Yes. Even something like, say, Pulp Fiction that that uh, jumps out of sequence. You, it's, it's still pretty straightforward. Yeah, at first you don't realize it's jumping out of sequence, but you pretty quickly go, oh, wait a minute, this is happening at a different point right. in time. However, what you're not used to getting is a film that plays with narrative structure in such a way that it can be confusing and altering for the viewer. Yes. And that may not be somebody's cup of tea. Well, here's an example. I, you know, I think that you're going to know if this is your cup of tea in the first 15 minutes. I would agree with that because you think that you're going to have, it, it starts off right with like a quick road trip and then to the parent's house, you know that going in. So you're like, you know, okay, but yet that's not what happens. <laughs> that road trip, that opening scene is like 15 minutes long. And it should be what, like, you know, normally you'd get like a couple of minutes. You'd get like three or four minutes of them in the car before arriving at the house but this is a 14 minute 14 or 15 minute scene of two people talking in a car in a snowstorm on an experiential level you're sort of trapped in the car with them you don't there's no context around there's just snow you don't see the road well it's uneasy because you kind of like yourself when are we going to get to this place exactly and what's going on it it, like it it plays with your expectations of how a movie is supposed to work because this scene is so much longer and so you kind of have to settle in the movie very quickly in that first 15 minutes forces you to settle into kind of either you're turning the movie off or you're going to accept whatever it does because at that point you kind of have to give up and say my expectations aren't being fulfilled here so i'm putting those aside and i'm going to let the movie take me wherever it goes 
And then, uh, so I feel like that opening sequence sort of conditions you for what's to come. That opening sequence with them driving, there's there's a dream, and there is to the entire movie, there's a dreamlike quality to it. Yeah, and it's even shot in a very dreamlike way. Yes. Um, it, it's an, it's an, uh, one other unexpected thing, especially for TV today, which is what most people are going to see this film, is it's shot in a 4-3 aspect ratio, which is the yes. old square format by the same cinematographer who shot shot square for Cold War and Ida. His name yes. is uh, Lucas Zal, but he's shooting in color, which is uh, different than what we've seen. Yeah. And the colors are just, again, this is where digital photography does some different things to color. And it was kind of exciting to see how when someone's shooting with a digital camera in a different way, so the film looks, right. doesn't look like film. It doesn't look, it just looks different. It looks different, but it works for the movie. Yes. I really liked the cinematography, except for one sequence. Which, we, which we'll have to talk about later. Yeah. <laughs> look, if someone watched this and really like after 15 minutes or so and said, this is horrible, I can't watch anymore, I totally wouldn't blame them. I really wouldn't. Oh, I, I, absolutely. This is this is the kind of movie where either, either you click with it or you don't. And, and some movies, though, I would say if that person won't give something a chance and it's good, I'll say, oh, they're, they're a crappy film watcher. They're not, <laughs> they're not worthy of a film like this. However, this film is really a hard review in that it's, it's a challenge and it's not saying, oh, well, you have to be a really awesome film viewer to like this, a super cinephile. I just think that it offers different types of rewards. Yes. And so – I only think a small audience is going to enjoy those rewards. I don't think that it means like only the coolest people will get it. I, I just, no, but, but but you're right. It's it's not going to be everybody's bag. Like for instance, I haven't liked several of Charlie. Uh, is it Charlie Kaufman? Yes. Or what's his what's his fake brother's name? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> the other one. I can't remember. His name. Uh, is that, it Lloyd? Now, no. I like that. I loved adaptation. Yes. Which he wrote. But what I didn't like was uh, Sinkadochi. New York. Synecdoche. I didn't like that. I didn't get it. I also didn't like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Neither did I. And I'm not a big fan of being John Malkovich, but I loved this. The first time I saw being John Malkovich, I loved it. Oh, okay. And I've, I, I've seen it only once because I didn't like it. But I've, I've liked it less. Over time? Over time. Yeah. Interesting. So so I'm not going in as someone says, well, I get uh, Kaufman and others do. Right. I, I mean, I loved... Uh, Animalisa, but I really wasn't sure what I was going to get with this. I do know, though, that I'm going to get something different, and I feel like it's got the things that Kaufman does that are different, but it's also different from other Kaufman movies. It is different from other, and part of that, I think, is because it's based on a book. Right. And of course, a lot of people looking for answers have gone to this book, and I think that's a good and bad spot because what Kaufman likes to do is when he adapts, he adapts things differently, and it doesn't necessarily follow every step of the book. So if you think, well, I've read the book or I heard about the right. book, and so that explains it for me, okay, I guess that's fine. But I think it definitely it changes it. He made it pretty clear in adaptation what kind of adaptations well, that, he does. Yeah, that was amazingly different. Um, I think this <laughs> um, is a little bit more faithful, and the author is Lane Reed, and he's a Canadian author. Yes, it is. And it's definitely more faithful, but it, it's still, uh, you know, I, and I've read an interview with Kaufman where he basically said he has to kind of make his own thing out of it. Otherwise, it, it doesn't feel real to him. It, it feels fake to him somehow that he's just going through the motions. 
and so he has to find his own way into the material. I also read that same interview. Oh, you did? Okay. Now, I think, you know, again, we may talk about whatever, but I think this is a good place for people who want to see the film and don't want to have anything spoiled that they could get out now because the rest of our program is just going to talk about this and we're going to just get into any details we feel like. Yes. So please, if you're somebody that just loves to be spoiled, then great. But we warned you, Ted Cruz. Ted, (laughs) Ted, right now is your chance. Ted, Ted, go watch, go watch. Before you write a letter to Bill Barr and said they spoiled the ending (laughs) of I'm Thinking of Anything, (laughs) can you get something done about them? I'm telling you now, Ted, to to, to walk away. I think Ted's head would explode if he tried to watch this movie. Yes, I think so. I think he would not handle it. I think he couldn't handle it. Yeah. Yeah. Poor Teddy Cruz. We keep picking on you. Not that there's anything offensive in this movie or Well, I don't think there is, but you know, maybe those Tulsi girls uh, will be too much for Ted. (laughs) Those suggestive (laughs) Tulsi girls. Tulsi town girls. Sorry. That's, That's such a good scene. There's a lot of good scenes. Okay, so now this is, we're going to, at least for people that have seen the movie, maybe, and have, or questions, or did, did they don't care. Now we'll just talk about it the way we want to talk about it, I guess. And I want to I want to hear from you. Let me go back a second, which was, I was talking about her name changing. L- let me ask you this. As you're watching this, because you're, you know, this is a film that demands you to kind of like start to construct the puzzle. Yeah. Was the name change, like, what was the first things that... That got you starting to think about the narrative in that that things weren't quite the same or because when something doesn't make sense, it's not a mistake, right? There's a purpose. So like what was getting what was what was your process as you were going through this about the woman narrator? Let's just Okay, say. so a couple of things. One, the first point at which I felt like something was off was when she recites the poem in the car. Well, let me, can I just break in on that? So the poem's called The Onslaught of Identical Days by Eva H.D., who's a friend of Charlie Kaufman's. Yes. And it's from a collection called The Rotten Perfect Mouth. Exactly. And I I did not know. I didn't either. I didn't know the poem. And so I, I thought it was something written for the movie, but it felt like it didn't come from the movie. It didn't feel like the voice of that character. It felt out of character for her somehow. We're asked to follow her, who yeah. is known as she. Her title is a young woman, but yes. she has many names throughout. One yes. is Lucy. One is Louisa. One is Lu- Lucia. One is Ames. Yes, and she's <laughs> narrating this, right? So yes, that's the other thing is she's narrating, but it almost sounds. It's almost like he can hear her thoughts at times. Well, there's something that happens at the very beginning in the car where she actually says, "I'm thinking of any yes. things," and he turns and says, "What did you just say?" <laughs> Exactly. And she was narrating. And so she's freaking out that this guy could hear her mind. All of these things combined make it feel like it's not totally tethered to reality or that there's something on. You know, it's sort of like I have dreams from time to time where like I'm trying to read a book. This is your dreams. Yes, this is my dream. So it's like a non-completion dream? Kind of, yeah. Or, you know, I'm trying to read something, but the the words keep moving around on the page. Or every time I read the sentence, it's something different. Hmm. Basically just that, like, when you're in a dream, 
you lose control a little bit of the reality. Right. It, it, it's happening. And sometimes you're even sort of aware that you're dreaming. Yes. So obviously you think I have control over this, but you don't. But you don't. Your imagination somehow is not totally in control. And so things don't line up. There's there's not the same logic and reason to things line up, lining up. And then, of course, we get when they get to the, the parents' house, very soon thereafter get this thing with the parents' clothes changing and their ages changing. Yeah. And that's, of course, when you start to realize, okay, something is happening here. It's not like they're just getting older. And you're starting to think about, well, you know, when you go and visit someone's house for the first time, like somebody that you're going out with, plus you're armed with the fact that you're thinking of maybe even breaking up with them, but yet here you are at the parents. Everything that happens in your brain, you're starting to think of all sorts of things, right? Yes. So you already know that there's some weird stuff. In between, by the way, and I think this even happens that breaks up the car conversation, we get flashes pretty quick to a janitor at a school. Yes, cleaning up a school. And that also got me thinking a little bit, but partly because of the casting. I said, this janitor looks an awful lot like the lead yes. male, Jess Plemons. Now, he was in Fargo, right? The TV show. Yes, yes, that's what yes. I meant. Well, Jess Plenins, who my wife calls the fat Matt Damon, <laughs> he always plays a little creepy. I mean, he's in Breaking Bad. Yes, yes. The last season of Breaking yep. Bad and stuff. And which, by the way, we talked about Breaking Bad a little bit, and you mentioned that movie El Camino, which yes. is a little thing that came out. Jess Plemons is in that. Oh, okay. Interesting. That movie, if it does anything, even though I don't think it was necessary, it helps complete that character and makes you understand that character from Breaking Bad in a way you didn't understand before. Oh, cool. Okay. That really makes me want to watch it. You should. Have you ever seen Game Night? Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the creepy next door neighbor who got upset that he wasn't being invited to the game That's right. That's right. He's a really interesting actor. And it's hard to tell early on in this movie how creepy he is. Is, uh, right. Right. It's like, because he's also kind of just insecure and shy, but also kind of passive aggressively controlling her. Like when they first show up at the house and it's freezing outside and he wants to like take a tour oh, yeah. of, of the outside and she right. wants to go inside. These are things that when I entered this film. And I don't know it's because some quick review at the beginning, the, where, where I, when, when you first hear of a movie, right? Yeah. You either hear it from an ad or a trailer or some article. I don't like to read up on what a movie is. I don't want to know too much. But I somehow was equating this to horror movie. And the trailer made it look like so. So my wife and I sit down. We thought we were seeing a horror movie. Okay, I'll tell you why you thought that. Why? Because it says that on Netflix. No, no, that's not where I read it. It was probably just reinforced by that. Oh, okay. But probably okay. because the book is sort of a psychological horror. Yeah, but it also has like, you know, like the basement door thing. Well, yeah, so all these things, it was very creepy, but for a while, I was waiting for like the roof to cave in and it's becoming a total horror movie. And at some point I realized it wasn't going to be that type of film. Either that or some kind of sci-fi movie. I I thought, "Oh, maybe they're maybe they're stuck in some kind of time loop or something." Yeah. And because movies are, you know, the way movies and TV shows are today, it kind of conditions you for that. Yes. Well, and and I was thinking sort of Charlie Kaufman, high concept-ish. Yeah. Like if he was to do a horror movie, what would that be like? Exactly. Yeah. And so that actually occurred to me a few times 
in the beginning was, yeah, maybe this is, I had the same thing in my head. So the things that you're talking about with like the way he treats her, it was making me unsettled. Yes. Uh, (laughs) The movie is very unsettling. The the first thing that got me to laugh out loud in Mm -hmm. the movie, and it's great because a lot of people have uh, on the internet have like talked about this. And, it, and it, so it just shows you that Charlie Kaufman, what a brilliant writer, he picked yeah. the exact moment. You know, you can tell a joke a bunch of ways, but sometimes for something to be funny, it has to be the right, say, word or name. And right. so the janitor is watching this cheesy <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> rom-com of sorts that somehow is playing to the backdrop of like the everyday high school life that he encounters as a janitor. Yes. And so he imagines almost people that he sees in the high school, but in this movie. And then it's the very end of the movie and the credits come up and it's just directed by Robert Zemeckis. I laughed so hard. And partly it's because Robert Zemeckis has never made a movie like that. Right, right. But yet it seems like some kind of cheese. just the funny name, the use of Robert Zemeckis. Like you could put other directors or a fake director and it wouldn't <laughs> and it would be funny. it would not be quite as funny. But yeah. with Robert Zemeckis, it was just like, it wasn't because it somehow now plucks something that's real, right? Yes. So you're watching a movie that doesn't feel very real real and then there's this element of robert zemeckis and uh (laughs) and at first you don't realize it's going to play a very big role in the movie is that this janitor he's like encountering he's seeing things around that slowly but surely you start to understand that things that are happening in the other part of the story are connected they're connected because there's like fragments and things yeah but the kids at school are rehearsing a high school uh, musical performance of oklahoma Yes. And if I'm not incorrect, the story actually takes place in Oklahoma. Oh, does it? I, I, well, I, what do you think Tulsi town? Like Tulsi is in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And, okay. And my wife was pretty convinced early on that it was actually Oklahoma. Uh, I'm, I'm willing to go with that. I, but I, I don't know. I mean, I, I was making an assumption that, oh, okay, so they're visiting down there. There's all the cows, the fields that, right. you know, but that again, it doesn't necessarily, it could have been anywhere, right? Yes. I've never seen Oklahoma. It's a musical that just never interested me mm-hmm. that much. So I've never seen it. And this is a film that, unlike movie references and and other things that people can pick up and some more than others, this film has the most obscure references. Yes. And, of course, if you're very literate and you know a lot of culture, it can be even more fun. So, like, if I had seen Oklahoma, there are things that go on, especially in the ending, that to me would have made a ton of more sense. Uh, But So, I swear, my after-reading helped connect a few dots that yes. made the movie even a richer experience. At, at the end, we wind up in that high school that's supposed to be yes. Jess Plemons' character's high school. Yeah, and, and it's the same high school the janitor has been in the whole time. Exactly. It's at night, he's in there, and so you've kind of seen the janitor through his day and then as school ends and he's watching the end of a movie and he's cleaning up and the two main characters end up at this uh, gym and she goes in looking for Jess Plemons because he seems to have disappeared. And that's where you're a little worried. They also end up there again through one of his kind of passive aggressive moves. All right, jumping around, they're at the family's house and a lot of weird stuff happens. And that's when you start to see, well, wait a minute, we're seeing various characters at different stages of life. There's a clue. She goes down to this basement yes. and you see a washing machine. And she pulls out this shirt and there's all these same shirts. And it turns out later that it's the janitor shirt. Mm -hmm. It's like a basket full of uh, 
uh, of janitor yeah, uniforms. Yeah, it's all it is is the janitor yeah. uniforms. And she actually sees his room, and his room has like you know his old room that he used to stay in, and it has his his childhood bedroom, DVDs, and all sorts of culture. You also go to the basement. You see that he is an a budding artist. He has all yeah. these like uh, paint set up, and so there's various things that she's been touted as throughout this whole movie that he, she's introduced as a poet, right. but she's also like a painter. And a physicist at one point. The way they met, they met at a bar during a trivia night contest, yes. but yet also she, in another version, she was a waitress there. Yes. Yeah. And that that's kind of what I mean by the dreamlike quality is things keep shifting that like the, the basic information and rules kind of aren't pinned down really hard yeah now this is where the more you have a background in some of the, the references the quicker yes. you're gonna get yes. something and so they finally leave the house and the family and by the way i'm not mentioning that the mother and father were, are great are played by tony collette and david Fulwis. yes and they're amazing performances somehow you do get that the father through various age stages may have dementia and yep. that the mother I got the sense that she may be dying of cancer. Yes, I uh, I did too. Yeah. yeah. Clearly, these characters, we get to visit them at various stages, but they were obviously had just recently passed away. Well, I, I, I would argue with recently. Oh, they could have been gone for a long time, right? In the I think they so. I think they're gone for a long time. Yeah, they, they could have. That, I mean, these are some things that you have to fill in the gaps. So, yeah. so they go on the way home. And this is where I started to, this is what I actually started to really like the movie. Yes. Because there's a scene that happens. <laughs> I just happened to catch the reference and I was like, this is great because if you the listener have been listening along to some of the episodes that I, i've done with bill and some of the joking around there was a recent episode where we talked about pauline kale yes and we talked about her uh, a character of her in a orson wells film that yes netflix just released a couple years ago. And I was telling Bill all about this because he was an avid Pauline Kael view uh, reader. I was too. He had all her volumes. Yep. And when we lived together our senior year, he would love to read to me, whether I wanted to listen to them or not, <laughs> he would read aloud some of her reviews. Right. So suddenly there's this moment, they're driving along. Yes. And what seems to be completely out of character for the woman, who's played, by the way, the actress is named Jesse Buckley, she's an Irish actress. Okay. Which is just, you know, it's, it's just interesting because I was like, I don't really know her. Yeah, I don't really know her. Yeah. And, and, and but this is a performance that you're not going to forget her. Mm -hmm. uh, so out of nowhere, and it's weird because of the editing, she's suddenly smoking. She's suddenly smoking. And I'm going, where did that cigarette come yeah, from? She, they don't yeah. show her lighting and so suddenly she's smoking. Yeah. And she's talking, like you said, with the with the poem earlier, it was out of character. Yes. Now she's suddenly launching into this pan of John Cassavetti's Woman Under the Influence. And and the way she plays it is, is almost as she's just coming up with it right then, right? Yeah. If you know the reviewer Pauline Kale, and even whether or not you've ever read her review of Woman Under the Influence, you instantly pick up yes her mannerisms and her approach and the way she takes down a director yes and the acting and i had to freeze the the movie <laughs> and i turned to my wife and i'm like oh my god i'm pretty sure she's doing pauline, pauline Kale. Kale. yeah and 
I was so sure it was Pauline Kael, and later I did get confirmation. Yes. But it was so great because she's arguing the merits of Woman on the Influence yes. with the character who clearly this movie meant a lot to him, this guy Jake. <laughs> and there's another, there's a sort of subtext to the fact that Woman Under the Influence, uh, Jenna Rollins is playing somebody who's a schizophrenic. Yes. And yep. can change her character. <laughs> Which is why they chose that movie to be the one that's discussed here. So right now, there's a lot of layers going on as sort of the fragments are becoming clearer. Yes. Well, and that again. Okay. So I I keep coming back to the dream thing, but there's. Well, wait a minute. We're almost to that part. So they go to Tulsi Town. Now, what? Wait, what? what, Tulsi Town? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And there's a little Tulsi Town jingle. Well, to break up this sort of tension of the woman under the influence conversation, which is not going his way because she's sort of fighting back for the first time. Oh, she's fighting against him. And then he has this like, well, I kind of liked the movie and I thought it was really a sympathetic and showed a lot of love <laughs> he's now like this little victim guy who's exactly. ashamed for liking it and that's what pauline kale does you'd love a movie yes. and she would make you feel like such a loser for liking it yeah she wrote it so well that you're like i can't really argue it against really her <laughs> and you're like yeah it does make sense so then he suddenly is like i need something sweet i, I i'm never gonna make it on this trip home and we need to go to tulsi town which yes. is open like magically like all 20 hours. Four hours in a well, and that's the other thing. Like the time is weird. Like how long is this drive? And she needs to get back that night. That's what and, sounds like a dream, right? It's this whole yeah. weird thing where time. We're like, yeah. I kept on asking that throughout the whole movie. I'm like, what time is it? I mean, she has yeah. to get somewhere the next day. And then you find out like why she says she has to get there is because she's got to work at this. She's a waitress or something mm-hmm. that doesn't seem to jive with all of her um, credentials. And I think at some point she has she has class the next day. Well, she has class the next day, but then she also at one point she has to work the next day yes, as, yeah. as a waitress. Like it changes. It changes. Yeah, it's, there's a there's a fluidity to the basic facts. Then is where I'm pretty sure that Charlie Kaufman left the directing chair and david lynch got in <laughs> yes the tulsi the, town to sequence. Shoot the tulsi town sequence <laughs> oh man yeah which is my favorite sequence in the whole movie because yes, it is absolutely. that weird david lynch dreamy thing with these uh 50s idolized looking girls yes but these girls all three of them are actually in the high school right yes yes so we've seen them before and then the dialogue about it he seems to be very intimidated by these girls yes and he doesn't want to face them or look at them and and they it's like they're teasing him well and so obviously as we as we leap forward since we know that the janitor is the real narrator of the story that we get the impression that yeah he i don't think he's like you know as as a violent stalker but he's a guy who lurks through the hallways he probably has his favorite girls he probably knows they work at the dairy queen which is you know in the book it's a dairy queen right and they couldn't get the rights he goes there probably to order something that he doesn't really want just so he can have some kind of interaction with them. Right. And he knows that they make fun of him, so he's very embarrassed. And then what we find out is that 
somewhere the high school is not too far away and he doesn't want to drink his uh, sweet shake anymore. Yes. So he throws it away. it's too sweet. The whole thing is he can't stand to have them in the car. Right. Because she's like, okay, we won't drink them. He's like, well, they're going to melt all over the place and he doesn't yeah. want them. And that's just like a dream too, where we don't know why is it we'd have to go to this like location right. for some bizarre reason we do. You know, if this was me, I would just uh, pull over and dump it out on the road. And That's what we're saying. So that's what we're saying on the couch. <laughs> All the things that makes logical sense because I'm like yeah. saying, well, why wouldn't you just dump it out? Because you we're thinking about it as if it was a regular movie. Exactly. Yeah. So when they get to this high school, he disappears to throw the cup away. But then he says this barrel's full of something, the salt. He's got to go somewhere else. Because there's yeah. a snowstorm happening too, by the way. Yeah. I haven't mentioned that. So she goes out and she decides to check this bin that he says was too full. And it is full, but it's full. Full to the brim with Tulsi Town shake cups. Exactly. Just the way the washing machine was full of. Yeah. And so you're left the impression that, that this guy might, you know, does he like go get a get a softy and then like even at this point in the movie i'm still thinking is there some kind of sci-fi explanation for this i am waiting to what happens when we get into the school right which she eventually goes in and then she locates the janitor and they have this weird conversation and then it gets even weirder where a dream sequence takes place yes between her character and jess plemons character however they have morphed into different actors for but the kids from the oklahoma school play (laughs) exactly (laughs) and then there is a, a ballet sequence. Yes. However, this is the part that if I had seen Oklahoma, I would understand. Yes. It is a self-referential ballet yes. that mimics the plot line and a ballet sequence that happens in Oklahoma. Exactly. But at the same time is about our two main characters and how they're resolving this, basically. And it resolves with him dying. In Oklahoma, the ballet, there's two men that fight over a girl, but yes. the bad guy falls on his knife and then the good couple marry. But in yes. this dream... The bad guy tends to win. Yes. And the good guy dies. And yet the janitor, then we find out, is kind of the guy who that, you know, is it he realizes that he's a bad guy. Yep, exactly. And yes. that his own behavior, that he's really kind of this stalkerish creep guy. And he's, he's a loser. Like, I, th- my impression he, yes. is that he's never actually had a girlfriend in his entire life. Me too. And the, so I really started to see this as the last night of his life. I think he's dead at the end of the movie. Yes. It's a question of whether it's suicide. I think it is. And that the movie is basically the last thoughts racing through his mind of all his regrets. You know, here's a guy who's nerdy, goes to like trivia nights. And he yes. obviously has this wealth of uh, pop culture knowledge. And yet he still couldn't ask somebody who might have been interested. Yep. And and that was it. That was the whole thing. He saw her in a bar once at Trivia Night and has concocted this entire fantasy around her as that maybe his life would have gone differently if he had this had this woman in his life but in fact no he's he's like lived in his parents house until they died and still lives there and works as the janitor and is this kind of losery kind of guy yeah and you know it's it's really interesting because she is ostensibly the main character but she's just a product of his imagination you know the movie makes this abundantly clear in him giving the beautiful mind speech at the end yes which is it's like <laughs> you can't really which okay, my wife re- picked up. She's like, oh, that's from Beautiful Mind. 
<laughs> yeah, and, and at which point it's like, oh, because the characters are part of his imagination. Yeah, it's another schizophrenic moment. Yes. And also, I think that there's a lot of contempt for what A Beautiful Mind represents as far as a movie. Yeah. And that it's, it's where, you know, I don't want to pick on poor Ron Howard, but it, it, it's what that type of director does to make sure the audience is fully in on it. Yes. And knows what it is. And, and I hate that movie. I just. I know you do. And part of the reason I hate it is I read the book. You've told me that before too, right? And the movie just, and anyhow, I, I don't need to get into it, but yes, he gives the beautiful mind speech and then he sings the song from Oklahoma and, and everyone there is in old age makeup. She's there. Yeah, and but she's, in weird old age, like theatrical, yes. weird old age makeup. That's very creepy. Yeah. Weird theatrical old age makeup. And, you know, so I was talking a little bit about the dream thing, but also once you realize it's a product of his imagination, what is interesting is that all his passive aggressive controlling of her his his shifting on her name and you realize that like he can't quite hold his imagination together and get it to line up and part of this is because she as a character has agency and so she is not totally subject to his whims and so it's sort of like he's created this fantasy but he can't control it the way he wants to. And so it keeps switching kind of underneath him and he's trying to make it in a way that would make sense and it never really does. Well, yeah, because he's a guy who all he's ever had is his fantasies. He's never yes. had a girlfriend. So the longer that went, it's elusive as to what a relation, what would that relationship be like? Like Exactly. And that's where that car ride, he imagines, well, what would this be? And he, of course, infuses this person uh, with all of the things that he would think. That's what you realize. Like the Pauline Kael book is in his bedroom. That volume of poetry is in his bedroom. But he's such a loser, right? That yes. he's even losing arguments with his fake girlfriend. <laughs> he's losing arguments like, that's with amazing. his fake like, girlfriend. He doesn't have any control over her. And I think that's ultimately realizes that he's such a failure that he could never have and hold on to this perfect girl if he could get her no and, and i agree he's been alone his whole life watching his robert zemeckis movies <laughs> like if you think about what the reality behind tulsi town might have been yeah. that he would go and get laughed at by those two blondes yes. and then eventually moved on to the girl who might not be as pretty and might have a skin condition and stuff but like think well i could maybe get her but yet he still can't talk to her yeah and yes exactly and he can't actually really take much action he doesn't have a lot of volition or agency well and there's another scene that happens early on in the film there, there were some things that made me question who this uh fantasy girl that, yeah. that that for a while is the narrator of the film is that she looks at this picture at his house and she sees this what looks like a little girl a little picture and she's like is that me? That's me, right? <laughs> right? And that's when I'm like, well, wait a minute. There's something going on. And for a while, I thought maybe that she really was the narrator and that this was her story. Yes. And that yeah. she was making all of this stuff up. But like, you know, again, it's even more of an interesting story that we're following a woman protagonist who's actually a figment of the other character's imagination. I mean, there's so many layers of this movie. And it's filled with all these great details. And okay, so... I got to go a little subgenre for a second. I've watched a bunch of really bland movies, but this movie is has a lot of personality. Well, if Ted Cruz has his way, you're going to get more bland in the future. <laughs> bland is safe. The whole premise of this movie brings up this question of 
men looking for women to rescue them or help them become actualized. Which is why I think that a lot of people have been talking about this movie, Ruby Sparks. Yes. And so I watched Ruby Sparks. Oh, you did? Because I haven't been, I, I, I don't know where I could find it. I know you have various ways that I don't, but I, I didn't get a chance to find it. Yes, I got a chance to watch it. Interestingly enough is that it is written by the female lead in the movie, Zoe Kazan. Yes, it is written by Zoe Kazan. We got to go back a little ways on this. <laughs> and we have to mention the phrase manic pixie dream girl. Okay, we, you, go ahead. You mentioned it. Manic pixie dream girl. Okay, so uh, Nathan Rabin, a film critic, coined this term in 2004 in his review of Elizabethtown. Interesting. I did not like that movie, but I, but I, but I do remember it. Right. That's that sort of vivacious, well, every boy's fantasy, right? Quirky. I've got his quote from the review, how he defines it, that these women exist solely in the fevered imaginations of sensitive writer directors to teach broodingly soulful young men to embrace life and its infinite mysteries and adventures. Well, of course, it'd be white men. And it is absolutely white men. And so this is sort of, okay, now since then, in uh, 2014, the same film critic wrote an article saying, I'm sorry for coining the phrase. Why is that? Well, because it started to be overused in and to apply to women who actually weren't just imagination. It became another male label for women. It became another male label for women. And so Zoe Kazan has actually said that she finds the phrase uh, misogynistic. Interesting. It does sound kind of misogynistic. I mean, it's it's putting a label on a certain type of woman character and maybe unfairly saying that that's diminishing it. Yeah, it diminishes the character. And, and so when it's applied to something like bringing up baby or breakfast at Tiffany's, it's like, well, you know, those, no, those are real characters, right? They're not just this uh, total fantasy creation. I haven't seen it, but I do know what the story about of Ruby Sparks is, and it is a writer, and he conjures up the perfect woman, and then she becomes real. At least I think she's yep. supposed to be real. So since she's a woman writer, though, what does she put on that spin that makes her character different? It's interesting because he creates her, she shows up in his life. Um, and then she starts to get her own agency and become her own character. And she wants more friends and she wants to, you know, spend a little less time with him. And she, yeah, she like wants to go out with her friends and he doesn't want that. So oh. he starts. Oh, he starts writing. Her. He starts writing to change her. Is, is it a good movie? Um, mixed bag. It's a mixed bag. I, I you know, it, it, it's not terrible. It's uh, it's a little bit more simple than I wanted it to be. I think it could have been more complex. Well, what do you think about Spike Jones's her? Well, uh, that is on my list. To me, that that takes it that even a step further. It's a computer program designed to fit your male fantasies, and yet yes. she grows an intelligence and agency of her own, and finds that humans are essentially not worth her time. So that is actually a different subgenre. Oh. My goodness, we've introduced <laughs> another one. What is that subgenre? It's called the algorithm-defined fantasy girl. Which we're now getting more of those, I suppose, because we've entered in a new... Like Joy and Blade Runner 2049? Right. I would put, um, oh, what is that Alex Garland movie about the 
robot woman. Yes, ex machina. Ex machina. I would put that in this category. So yeah, the algorithm defined fantasy girl. Um, so in Ruby Sparks, yeah, she gets agency. He tries to control her. It's a total failure. He and he actually tells her, "You're not real. You're something I created. I can." control you oh that sounds awful and there's this really creepy sequence where he's at his typewriter and she's just jumping out up and down saying i love you i'll never leave you you're a genius you're a genius all right i gotta have to watch this yeah i think you're gonna have to watch it what about the same sort of genre but it's completely flipped differently uh but it's that idea of creating a a fantasy character or something is uh, stranger than fiction which is the only serious movie i think that will ferrell ever did and it tanked so he never did another one but i thought it was (laughs) one of his best performances yeah absolutely his best movie but there the writer is a woman yes and she's created this character who yeah i think it's similar although he's not really a fantasy character for her like he's not there to help the author necessarily is he the first time i came across the manic pixie dream girl tell me about the manic pixie dream girl ted cruz was in a tv show from 1992 called flying blind starring teal leone oh yeah yeah yes yes and it was about this kind of uptight square dude who meets this bubbly free-spirited woman and uh is rescued from his boring life by her look at the the genre you you encountered it even earlier but she wasn't a manic pixie she was manic and she was a dream girl weird science weird science absolutely yes john hughes yes and two geeky guys get their male fantasy woman yes and she teaches them how to be yes. desirable men and that's basically like the negative part of the genre is yes it's about sort of lonely sad sack white men who need a woman to help them become who they really are and to help them fully self-actualize. And it's a weird genre. (laughs) I think that I'm thinking of ending things and Ruby Sparks are both engaging with that trope and examining it and dissecting it. And so, yeah, this is, it's a a weird genre. And the more I think about it, the more as a subgenre, it kind of upsets me. But, you know, here's what's interesting is that Charlie Kaufman loves this genre. (laughs) Well, but he's making a, making a very interesting comment though on that genre. I wonder if in this film, he's making a little bit of a comment on some of his own work. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind even though I, I I didn't like it. And for some yeah. reasons that one of the things that, and maybe it plays to this is I never bought the relationship in the first place between right. Kate Winslet's uh, manic pixie mm-hmm. <laughs> dream girl and uh, Jim Carrey. But I also thought because Jim Carrey was like 14 years older than her. Yes. And that really bothered me. Uh, I totally agree. It came across as weird. You, can, you could rationalize it any way you want, but the fact is that at that time and place, Jim Carrey could greenlight any movie that he was interested in, and that's why yep. he was cast. Kate Winslet was cast because she's a great actress. <laughs> yes. But that is what bothered me. Uh, you know, here's another movie. It's funny. We talk about the manic pixie dream girl a movie i don't like i don't get there's a lot of love for this film it's got a huge cult following and i i I kind of keep thinking when i revisit it that this is going to be the time (laughs) that i'm going to like it can i guess yeah go ahead guess you're not going to guess it garden state no i like that and it's not i mean yeah she i guess she's sort of a dream girl but he's she's bringing him out of a phase it's that that would definitely be in the genre no scott pilgrim versus the world oh 
do not yes. like that movie. And that totally fits this trope. I mean, everybody's putting her on a pedestal. Nobody can quite nail her down, but it's still that idea that, you know, she's that idolized perfect girl for what he thinks. Exactly. And and the, the girl is always created as a product of the man's imagination in a way. It like somehow fits him. And, and this is what I liked about it. I'm thinking of ending things is that he creates her, but he can't hold on to her what's interesting because we understand as as film geeks who at one point or another wanted to make movies ourselves right where did this come from when we were fed a diet in mostly the 80s the idolized girl it was always this jock fantasy it was uh the geek who couldn't get the hot blonde cheerleader type and yet that wasn't really kind of where most of us being artists liked we kind of probably were more attracted to the artistic manic pixie dream girl and so when we got to make movies ourselves uh, we wrote what our (laughs) fantasy girl would be right was like you know intellectual cool hip daring but yet still i guess slavish devotion to our there's still slavish devotion that's the thing she never really has her own agency or story she's there to serve the story of the male character and his story arc and his emotional arc another movie that i you were mentioning the 80s that i think sort of fits in this category is risky business well right the idealized girl is not a manic pixie she's a like a gorgeous prostitute who's not on right. drugs or anything but, but she's still the fantasy girl and, she, fantasy, yeah absolutely and the movie comes right out and says oh she's what every white boy wants yeah well that's why i think the ones <laughs> that we think are good are movies that comment yes a, 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 on this they're not just taking it like like again i think why elizabeth town is horrible yes is it is the awful cliche it doesn't recognize that uh, she's the manic pixie dream exactly. girl. It's ones that understand exactly what they're doing and they're commenting on everything about it. And that's why I think this movie is very, very successful. Well, no, I totally agree. I think that's one of the big things this movie is doing is dissecting that idea of the male fantasy character. Uh, as a matter of fact, you know, one of the movies that, uh, why I think I, I love it. It's a very understated movie, but I think it's great. Uh, and it's one of the few times where you get that kind of manic pixie character and yeah. it's her perspective and it's just about her story. And we don't have necessarily the romance between some dream boy uh, in the plot is Ghost World. Oh, yeah. Where you get a story about this person and what she's going through. Yeah. And it's not really focused, though she does have some kind of, well, she does have a romance in a weird way with the most sad sack character of all, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, she actually has an affair with him. But, it, you know, you're not, it's not flipping the script and saying finding this perfect boy. It isn't about that. And I guess there is, yes, there there is some kind of uh, manic pixie dream boy which one would we have one of those you have that in a bag of tricks because i can't think of one offhand but let's see oh man the fault in our stars well i mean i don't know i mean he's not much of a dream boat he's he's dying (laughs) yeah no (laughs) i don't you know i guess ansel elcourt is kind of that hunky guy for a certain you know audience but how about pitch perfect Uh, oh right so like right anytime there is a guy character right he's that idealized boy that just seems perfect for her exactly and shows you the breakfast club yeah yeah but and that also follows a lot of the rom-com conventions yeah i mean and and there are definitely that there's overlap here with a lot of the rom-com conventions but uh, most 
Not all, but a, a lot of rom-coms are two headers, right? <laughs> yeah. And so it, both characters get a story there. And that's why I feel like bringing up Baby is not really a Manic Pixie Dream Girl movie. because you, You've done more research on the genre than I have, <laughs> I, I guess. I never would have thought about that as that, uh, you know, that genre. But Well, that's why this guy like wanted to take back the invent, coining this term is because it started being applied to movies like that mm, and diminishing yeah. the female characters. Yeah, because that was a time where they may have been written by males, but- the, they were strong females. There were only a few of them that they had in their movies, but you know, like Rosalind Russell, right? Um, Catherine Hepburn, yep. you know, these were these, uh, Lauren Bacall, the very strong women. Have you ever seen "I Love You, Alice B. Toklas? You know, I <laughs> yeah, I watched <laughs> I watched some of it like a couple of years ago, as much as I could. But it's pretty. Yeah. It has that weird, outrageous comedy. I, I like the look of it and the style and the music, but. Yeah, I didn't really care for too much, but it's it's <laughs> that it's that stri- that was a genre, right? With the straight yes. the straight Joe is yes. got like the manic pixie dream girl that comes of the sixties that comes the in 60s. like rocks his world and gets gets it all crazy, right? It gets it all crazy and somehow I forget he what fun- the who's the girl in that? I can't remember. You bring it up, but you don't know the you don't have the necessary. <laughs> I don't know the whole cast. I wasn't You're expecting right. you to pull that out, but you know, here's the <laughs> bottom line because we do need to end this program. Yeah, is that you know what for like. When you say that word bland, movies come, go. I mean, I see a lot of things that would never make this show. That we, I don't talk yes. about everything I see because it's just like, well, you know, what's the point? Uh, I see a lot of things hoping that it's worth talking about. But then yeah. you get a movie like this. It, it's a different type of movie. But what it is is it gets me talking. It gets you talking. It gets us thinking about genres. And, and I should say also, the way we've talked about this movie is it sounds kind of tricky, like, you know, there's lots of tricks and stuff and there's references and, but I, I think it's important to point out that the movie has a really big emotional impact. Yeah. It's not totally the way we've talked about it, it. It could almost sound too cerebral, but it's not, it's actually a very felt movie. Well, yeah. So what I would say is that unlike say under the silver lake, which definitely is one for interpretation and yeah. that. I can't say that my thoughts on what the story is, is is exactly true. Right. And everything that five people could have different ideas about it and would be right. Uh, this film, you can get what he was going for yes. on its first viewing. It may confuse you a little bit. And there will be those people. I, I did read somebody on Facebook and they were like, uh, you know, can you explain this movie to me? <laughs> right. My general impressions were is I got everything that we just talked about. However, going to do some additional research helped kind of fill the gaps a little bit. Exactly. Yeah. I got the concept and everything. I just didn't get all the layers and references and but but I got what was going on. Yeah, and I think this is a film that now I I I, I didn't see it twice, but I will at some point rewatch it again having the knowledge of what happens and then you'll you'll watch it at a different sort of microscopic level and notice a few extra things that you didn't notice the first time like for instance and I read this but I had re- I had noticed it but it didn't it didn't resonate because I hadn't seen the film the very opening scene she's waiting to be picked up by Jeff Clemens yes. looking at her in a window was the janitor and it's a store window why is he there and i may have caught it and been confused later when i saw him at the school but so there's a there's a hint right at the beginning yep it it is given away right at the beginning and so uh, what we do is we need we need movies like this that aren't just your standard way because it reminds us that movies don't always have to be a 
specific way. It doesn't have to be the normal conventions that we always see. So that's why I cherish a movie like this. Yes. And I, in the bland zone of Netflix, I'm, uh, I'm looking for more and more movies like this. I, I, I want to watch movies like this because it's not, I mean, it's, it's some of these other movies, when we get to them, I can't even remember them. They're so bland. I have a hard time remember the title. You yeah, know? Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm going to look in my Netflix queue and see what I watched and put together a list of these because I can't remember them at all. Yeah. And, and, and bless you for watching some of these because you couldn't get me to watch. I don't know what, I don't know why you can't watch Roma, but you can watch some of these. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's something that's a mystery, but. Because I, Roma will make me feel things. <laughs> I know. And these you can like, you can have on the background and you can be yes. flipping in your phone and you could still say, well, I watched it. Exactly. And I'm folding clothes. And yeah. yeah, I hear you. Well, boy, I, you know, I thought I really did think this wasn't going to, I thought, oh, this is going to be a total <laughs> hour because we're not going to have anything to talk about. I should have known better. Um, and we'll see what I can do with the editing. Just trim it up a little bit. Hopefully you enjoy this, uh, folks. But I think next episode, I'm hoping that I can watch the rest of Cuties, but I think that Ted Cruz may have had it taken that way. I think, I think it's gone. I knew I should have stayed up last night and watched the whole thing. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, it's it's gone. All right. Uh, hey, people, you know the drill. <laughs> StuffWe'veSeen.com, feedback at StuffWe'veSeen.com, Instagram is StuffWe'veSeenPodcast. Listen, tell your friends, leave a rating and a comment. It's always appreciated. Subscribe so you can get all these fun episodes. And boy, if you are one of those people that love to have things spoiled but still want to see the movie anyway, <laughs> the film is called... I'm thinking of ending things by director and writer Charlie Kaufman. On Netflix. On Netflix. Hopefully will not be removed by Netflix. And <laughs> cuties, search for it if you can. But I think that uh, the right wing is spoken. Yep. Bye-bye, people. Bye-bye. <laughs>